What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Movies A Good Podcast. I'm your host, Pie Man, and this week I actually kind of finished catching up. You know, we're we're deep into the summer blockbuster territory now. It's it's pounding. It's weekly. Just there's always something big out, which is good for business, but it is it is a lot to keep watching. I had to triple up on the cinema this weekend, and um. It was just a really inconvenient, let's let's say that, a really inconvenient order of film watching. <laughs> because I went to see first Fast and Furious 10, which is a weird film to watch at like 10am. <laughs> and then I watched Little Mermaid, which was actually it was, it was kind of into the afternoon, it was alright. And then I, I followed those two big movies with Hypnotic, the Ben Affleck Inception ripoff. And it just it felt like a weird order, let's put it that way. Um, but anyway, so those are some of the films we're talking about this week. I want to talk more generally, because I didn't last week when I was covering Peter Pan and Wendy's release, about Disney live-action remakes and how bafflingly similar the formula for them all is. Um, I've got an interesting horror movie I found, uh, a little little sneaky one. I've got a bloody Netflix movie that we should talk about, even though I kind of don't want to. And I've got Black Sheep, which is a New Zealand film I found about zombie sheep. So, I'm very excited. <laughs> so, we're starting today with The Little Mermaid. Um, basically, what happened is they decided, you know what? This one actually needs remade because there's some creepy shit in The Little Mermaid. So, what they did instead was they changed a few song lyrics to, you know, include consent about kissing girls. And uh, they made Eric an orphan for some reason. They changed the whole setting from Denmark to the Caribbean, which actually was kind of genius and worked really well and fit the whole theme of the songs that were already there. And uh, not so much the songs that they actually put in, but that's fine. Uh, there were no songs written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, and you could tell they're written by Lin-Manuel Miranda because one of them is a really weird rap song. He just can't help himself. It's just, Anyway, um, Halle Bailey was amazing, and every time I say her name, I almost say Halle Berry, but I'm, I'm getting better at it. Uh, she was incredible. Most of them were incredible. It was really well done. It was really well modernized, and it didn't feel like it was exceptionally dragging out the story, even though it added an hour to the runtime of the original animated movie. So, in general, well fucking done, <laughs> The Little Mermaid. This is an adaption that they've actually... And I didn't expect myself to be saying this. I didn't have high expectations. I wasn't looking forward to it. And I'm coming out of it feeling like I can definitively say they kind of crushed it. <laughs> and I feel like the problem, and this is the root problem with Disney live-action remakes, is that you're never going to have the style everyone's looking for in it. Some people are happy with The Lion King, which took on a really serious tone. It, it didn't, you know, it, it went for even though that's the most animated live-action remake they've done, it was the most serious live-action style. The least cartoony one, even though it was the most cartoony one. That doesn't make any sense. But it, it is essentially the issue, is that some people are going to like that style. Some people are going to want you to go as cartoony as possible. And some people are going to want some magical blend of the two, which doesn't really exist, I don't think. Um, I will say that... I mean, when you look at the history of them, I mean, and they've done a lot. They've done a lot of these, okay? I don't know. If you look down the list of Disney Live Action Remakes, you can see the ones that tried the different styles. Um, my, my childhood one that I remember the best was the 101 Dalmatians Live Action Remake, and I never really liked it that much as a kid. 
And that is, in many ways, relatively cartoony. Glenn Close was really good as Cruella de Vil, but it just felt kind of wrong to me. I, I, I did never hate it, I don't think, as a child, but I do dislike it quite well. <laughs> quite, I, I'm really against it, having watched it back more recently, that one. So, and especially 102 Dalmatians. My god, the sequel, Cruella, like, turning into a cupcake. Oh, oh, that was a bad movie. But both of them, I just watched back recently and thought, not great. Not great. And it's not Glenn Close. It's not the performances. It's... It really did lose the magic. I think that's the best way to describe it. The remix just... It's very bland. It loses some of the magic of the original story. And as you look at different ones, some of them do, some of them don't. For me, even films that I don't really love personally, like the 2015 Cinderella with Lily James, I like it. I think it's okay. I think that kind of retains a lot of the magic of the original story, whereas other films don't. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. And I, I Like Pinocchio. I think Pinocchio really something was lost in translation there. Um, and it was showcased even better by the fact that other Pinocchio films were made recently, like the Guillermo del Toro one, which just did it so much better. Um... Yeah, the Tom Hanks one last year, that was one that I kind of expected more to actually really enjoy. Because I really like Pinocchio, the original, um, even watching back today. Which I honestly can't say for that many of like the 30s and 40s kind of Disney movies. I feel like Snow White still holds up surprisingly well for being from 1937. Like Dumbo, Alice in Wonderland, um, yeah... I don't know, a lot of these films from that long ago that Disney made, you feel like, yeah, it's okay to do a remake because they'll contain the original magic in this new format. And, it, you know, you're approaching, like, over 80 years for some of these films since they were released. It seems fair enough to do a remake of those ones. When they do something like Beauty and the Beast, which was originally made in the 90s, I feel a bit like, ugh. And that one, for me, yeah, people really loved a lot of them the live-action Beauty and the Beast, and I thought it was so dull and dragging and boring. It really, it's one of those cases where it adds a lot of runtime, a chunk of runtime. And some ways, the approach it took were similar to what Little Mermaid did. I feel like they're, uh, it's a good comparison, I think, because they are both musicals. It's Disney Princess, it's a love story at the core of it, and it's about... Beauty and the Beast not as much, but it's kind of about different worlds, these two people from different worlds and trying to come together. And, uh, yeah. I feel like in the songs, there is a big difference. Um, Beauty and the Beast, I don't know. I, I was excited when I first went to watch that one, more so than I was excited to go and watch this Little Mermaid film. And I came out feeling like the songs especially, I just wouldn't listen back to those versions of them at all. Whereas the versions Little Mermaid did of the songs, the old ones, I would totally listen back to those, I think, coming out of the cinema, I feel. And the scenes were vibrant. There was so much colour and life to it. And that is part of the reason I really love the Caribbean setting for this live-action update, because it did really need that. If it had been set in Denmark, I feel like the world, the human world, would have looked a little bit 
blander, and their kingdom wouldn't have been so nice to just for Ariel to come up into, you know? She's got all these expectations about the human world, and she's comparing that to this incredibly vibrant, under-the-sea life that she's got already. So, for her not to be, like, hugely disappointed to go, oh, actually, maybe not, when she reaches the human surface, she's got to see this incredibly open, warm, loving, musical, incredible society, and the kind of, the Caribbean vibe gave it so much more that vibrancy that it needed to match how vibrant and colorful they managed to keep the underwater world, which was impressive. I was worried that that also would look a little bit just blue and bland. But no, and I really thought scenes like Under the Sea were going to be nothing, you know, I, I didn't think in live action they could even vaguely match the level. You know, it's, it's kind of comparable to, like, The Lion King, I just can't wait to be king. That scene in live action was so bland and boring. I thought it would be the same thing, because it is such a colorful, huge, vibrant celebration of the ocean in the animated form, and I thought, they can't do that in live action. But they really did. They really did. They did it differently, they changed it, but it still felt really... I, that, I keep using the word vibrant. <laughs> but the colorfulness of it, it really impressed me. Throughout the film, I was really impressed by that. Um, the new songs... The first one kind of hit me out of nowhere. <laughs> the first one was Prince Eric's, like, ballad about going out and finding this woman um, who saved him. And it, it really is quite, like, uh, strange. It came out of nowhere. I did like it. I think I'd have to listen back to it again before I decide how much, because it, it just shocked me. And I was kind of like, oh, my gosh, right? Okay, we're, we're going all the way in. Um, I do think it's more of a musical. To be fair, the original was an hour shorter, so it was fine as a musical having only as many songs as it did. This one feels much more like a proper length musical because it's an hour longer, but added in three? Was it just three songs I think they added in? They added in one for Eric, and then they added in one that's Ariel singing after she loses her voice. It's like an internal monologue song when she first gets to the human world. Which, again, I actually quite liked. It wasn't... It wasn't much, really, to it, but it was it was a nice one. Uh, and then they do Scuttlebutt, which is a song that Scuttle and Sebastian sing when Scuttle has news, which she is referring to as Scuttlebutt. And it's just a big rap. It's a very Lin-Manuel miranda kind of thing, which I like in general. Um, it was weird, but it, it kind of it kind of just worked because Aquafina playing Scuttle was already such a bird brain character that it just, you get away with it. Um, I loved David Diggs as Sebastian. He was great, and the songs he sang were really well done and executed. Um, I do think Kiss the Girl, it was a little bit weird. Not... Not the lyric changes, that was fine. Um, and quite minor, really. I, I thought it, there was going to be more lyric changes to it, having heard the news about it beforehand, but it, it is just that couple of lines where it's like, hey, you know, use your words, boy, and ask her, instead of there is only one way to ask her, just grab her and kiss her, you know? <laughs> that's basically what it was saying in the original, that bit. So that's a fine change. Um, it, was, it was more that Jacob Tremblay, who plays Flounder, and uh, wow. For all the changes they made to characters like Scuttle, Flounder is 
one million percent the same character. He might be using the same lines from the original times. I, like, wow. Uh, so Jacob Tremblay did well there, just recreating. Um, him and Aquafina are kind of doing the backing vocals to David Diggs doing Kiss the Girl, and I'd be interested to hear the official soundtrack version. It did sound a bit like a bit naff at times. Um, that was one of my few complaints. Uh, I thought Halle Bailey and, oh, I've forgotten the guy's name that um, played Eric, but wow. He really looks, and it's a, it's a weird thing. I feel like it's such a common comparison to make. Be like, a, oh yeah, he's like a young Ryan Gosling. But at times, he really like his facial expression. Like, he really looks like Ryan Gosling. Um, but he did very well. He was very good, and obviously the story focused a lot more on him because there was so much more runtime. It, it had to give him something of a backstory. And even then, it kind of just, oh, he came to us as an orphan, like, from this shipwreck. And you expect it the whole time to do something with that. It doesn't, but that's fine. Overall, I think The Little Mermaid was fantastic. I really loved it. I was expecting just another bog-standard one. I, and if I had to, I don't know, put it in a list of these live-action remakes... I don't think I've seen every single one of these. I've seen most of them. I think, like, The Jungle Book was quite high up there. It was very good. I think Cruella was actually amazing. I really loved Cruella. But I'm just a big Emma Stone fan. Um, and I think Aladdin. I think this is comparable to Aladdin. I think it's on that kind of level because Aladdin did a great job of adding to the story, changing characters in ways that still worked well, and making it feel bigger while also not losing the magic of the original. The Little Mermaid does that, so well done, because that is about as high praise as I can give out to one of these. Um, is, is this better than the original? Is always the question you got to really address with the remake. Um, it's closer for this one than I would normally say. I'm not, I'm, I'm a big fan of a lot of Disney movies and a lot of the original Disney musicals. I've never been, despite loving the songs, that high on The Little Mermaid as a film. So I might actually prefer this one. I really wasn't expecting to say that, even though I'm not like the biggest fan of The Little Mermaid. The original, I, I did not think going into this that I would maybe even possibly like this more. It's just a really good romance film. It's got a lot of really well done songs. It still feels very suitable for kids. And I think that's such an important thing. What's the point in remaking these for the people who watch them as kids? You're Disney. Make movies that are for kids. We still like the movies that were for kids when we were young. Odds are, if you make this accessible so that kids can enjoy it as well as other people, like you do all of your animated classics, we're probably going to like these too, even though we're adults now. <laughs> um, and some of them have forgotten that. Some of the live-action remakes don't really feel like they're actually made for kids. Like, kids could probably still watch them, but they're not really pointed at kids so much. I think that's where they've been messing up sometimes. This one feels like it's still made for kids, even though adults are going to watch it. And I think love it too, personally. And uh, I'm going to give it like a 9 out of 10. Which, I don't know, outside of Aladdin, maybe Cruella, there's not a lot of live action remakes that I'd be given a 9 out of 10, honestly. <laughs>
There are some that I have preferred to the original. Dumbo. Dumbo, I just think, did a great job of telling a very new story that felt very separate from the original. It's just way away from it. But I thought it was probably better than the original. Um... Alright, that might be the only one. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting, these Disney Love Action remakes. And I, I haven't talked about this much with, like, Peter Pan and Wendy, but <laughs> they're all... They, they all follow, like, such a similar formula. Little Mermaid broke away from it in some ways, but it followed it in some ways as well. And it is just, yeah, lump on extra time. Because most of the Disney animated classics were, like... 80-something minutes long, sometimes 70 minutes long. So it's just like, yeah, lump on an extra R of runtime. Include some extra backstory and stuff about their parents, always about their parents. That's where the backstory stuff comes from, which is why I was so surprised that Little Mermaid introduced the idea that Eric was this orphan, doesn't know who his original parents are, and then just didn't do anything with that. I quite like that they did that, but it surprised me because I really thought they were going to add a bunch to his character and mess it up and it was going to be a mess. They did not. Um, I really I really like um, the consistency of, well, not so much consistency, of what they do with the animal sidekicks in the live-action remix. That is one point that they can't seem to agree on with the formula because you've got Mulan where everyone's like, you left out Mushu, you replaced him with a dumb phoenix, doesn't talk. Mulan's whole, like, internal struggle throughout the movie about, oh, what's she doing? She's scared. Oh, the anxieties of this. You you don't hear her thoughts. That's why you often have an animal sidekick. So they have someone to vent their thoughts to, because on screen you need that. They didn't have that in Mulan. Mulan live action was fucking, ugh. <laughs> it was a little bit of a mess, okay? Um, but then some of the others, like The Little Mermaid, She's just still talking to them, you know? She's just still straight up talking to all three of her animal sidekicks the whole film. And it works really well. And some people might find it a little bit silly that they're doing that in live action. I, I don't know why, because it's still... It's Disney. It is for kids. Kids are meant to be able to enjoy this. Having animal sidekicks, like she had in the original. What's so silly about that? I think it's I think it's just very strange and hypocritical of people to be like, oh yeah, a new version of this thing I loved as a kid, and then want it to have changed. I don't know. There are some things that you should change about these stories, and some of the stuff in the Little Mermaid originally, yeah, they had changed and they did. That's good, but there's some things you just shouldn't touch, and I'm glad that they didn't. Disney live action remakes, they. I think they're unnecessary for the most part, but occasionally you do get one that comes along and actually feels at least worth a watch. Like The Jungle Book. Like Dumbo. And like Aladdin, for sure. And this one. It really worked well. So, let's move on to Fast X. Uh, the naming convention. I When I like write down like a list of movies in a franchise, I really just... I, I would prefer it was either like... Fast and Furious, Tokyo Drift, Fast and Furious, Brazilian Nights, Fast and Furious, whatever. In, you know, and instead, or just Fast and Furious 1, Fast and Furious 2, Fast and Furious 3. Instead, you've got The Fast and the Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, The Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift, Fast and Furious, Fast 5, <laughs> uh, Fast and Furious 6, 
Furious 7. The Fear of the Furious. Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, Fast... Fast Fast 9? Or like the Fast Saga? And then Fast 10. Like Fast 10 in your seatbelts. Fast in your seatbelts. <laughs> so here's the thing. They got to the stage in the Fast and Furious franchise where they can just do Infinity War. Instead of having a bunch of different franchises, they just have all these people who have been sometimes in the film, sometimes not. Now they can just pile-drive them in, while also pile-driving in a bunch of new characters, all in the one movie, having most of them off on side quests that don't really make sense or need to be nearly as long as they are. Why are they doing all of this? Because they realized halfway through production that instead of making it a two-part finale, they can make it a three-part finale with Fast and Furious 10, 11, and 12. And that's basically what they're going to do now. And it's going to take forever and be freaking unbearable because this was literally side quest the movie letty goes to prison after the opening sequence thing and then she she is there with charlize theron's character the whole movie <laughs> and and all they do is wake up and then break out but that's her whole movie <laughs> Whereas, like, Roman is off with all the other side characters that we don't really care about, because if you put enough of them together, it creates a mass that almost makes something we're going to care about enough to watch their own segments. And I say segments, because this film is split into segments. There's the Dominic thing, there's the John Cena, now a good guy, obviously, because it only takes one film in this franchise to turn from wanting to kill them into protecting them with your life. He is with Dominic's son... And then there's those four who are all off on their own and finding Jason Statham and stuff like that. And then there's just Letty off on her own. And yeah. That's what's happening. And it takes forever to get anywhere. Dominic's part is the most interesting, but is so split up because they're so consistently cutting away for just like a minute long scene with Letty in prison going, ta, Or waking up and seeing Charlize Theron and going, ta. They wanted to leave every scene on a cliffhanger, and it's horrible what they do. I hate it. So, Fast 10, Your Seatbelts, is about Dominic, whose family have someone who's targeting them. No, 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 no. Not like Fast and Furious 6 with Shaw's brother. No, no, no. Or Fast and Furious 7. No, 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 no. Or Fast and Furious 8 with Cypher. No, 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 no. Or Fast and Furious 9 with Dominic's brother. No, 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 no. It's not like those. It is like those, but you're only going to get half the movie. You know, if those movies just didn't have a third act, that's what's happening here because they want to leave it on a cliffhanger for Fast and Furious 11 and then maybe leave that one on a cliffhanger for Fast and Furious 12. It's Infinity War, except Jason Momoa is playing Thanos and he's kind of kooky. Like, he's a little bit, like, he's surprisingly not, like, really toxic masculine brrr because they've done that so many times that I guess they just got bored of it. And Jason Momoa played Cal Drogo, so now he's playing the opposite character. He's just such a chill, like, ha <laughs> kind of dude who's calling Dominic up and going dummy and it's weird it kind of works quite well he's quite a good villain by this franchise's standards but at the same time I'm expecting him to somehow turn around to become their best friend in a film or two we'll see but basically Dominic is going back to Rio because that was when this franchise was at its best and they know that um, and he's kind of just there for most of the movie 
meeting new characters that, yeah, basically the whole film just introduces a bunch of new characters that are related in some way to previous characters. Like Brie Larson is Mr. Nobody's daughter, Mr. Nobody Kurt Russell, uh -uh. and uh, they're, they're saying he's gone, but he's not like maybe dead so that they can bring him back as a surprise, I'm guessing, in 11 or 12. And then there's Daniela Melchior from Suicide Squad. She's playing, she's playing Elena's sister. Lena, who's the mother of Dominic's child, but she's definitely dead. She's she's actually dead, yeah. But then again, you never know in <laughs> this franchise. Uh, um, so yeah, it's a mess. Oh, and Alan Richson is playing Dwayne Johnson's character, even though Dwayne Johnson is coming back. He's basically playing the same role. And even is fighting with Dominic on the same bridge where Dwayne Johnson first fought alongside Doc. Yeah, so... Um, it's a new film, kind of. It is. It's fine. It's fine. That's it. <laughs> it feels so bitty that it really doesn't feel like the first act of a two or three part thing. It feels like the prologue to the next one. It, it just doesn't have enough actual story going on here to care about. You could have just done Dominic's part of the movie, which where stuff is kind of actually happening, and you pretty much didn't need the other parts. The whole, like, you could have had Letty turn up in the next one next to Dominic and be like, Cypher, help me break out of prison. Whoa, what? And you could have had Roman and Tej and all just flying in at the end like they did without the whole explanation of how they paraded around randomly and met Pete Davidson and stuff. I just don't, you know? <laughs> Even John Cena with Dominic's kid bits, most of that could have been cut as well. It was all like, okay to add it in, but it feels crazy that that made up the, the body, the mean body of a blockbuster. Because it was all just so meandering. And they threw in action scenes at random places to make it feel like it wasn't just meandering its way through, but it really was. I don't think it's the worst film in the franchise. This franchise did Tokyo Drift. Too Fast, Too Furious was also pretty bad. It's pretty goddamn weak, though. It is some weak sauce. It kind of does just about enough to make you go, well, the next one could be pretty good, but why couldn't they do that while also having this one be good? I don't... It doesn't matter. Um, I'm giving this one, like... Uh, five? Maybe a six. Maybe a six out of ten. It feels slightly generous, but it is, if you were going back and watching this in five years, and immediately watching the ones that come after it, you'd probably not care as much, or think as much about how this is some weak sauce. <laughs> it's just that having to wait, uh, I don't know actually, Normally two years between films and the franchise. Having to wait at least a year, maybe two, with that being all you get, just feels weak, okay? <laughs> Even by the standards of this franchise, that is just a dumb cock tease, that film, okay? That's what I'll say. It's it's not dreadful. If you like the franchise, go see it. They're, they're all there. <laughs> all the characters who have pretty much ever been in this franchise. Doesn't matter if they died does not matter if they were very clearly, very most definitely dead. They're probably there. Pretty much. So, let's move on. <laughs> I also saw this week Hypnotic, starring Ben Affleck. 
Hypnotic is um, Ben Affleck's attempt to do Inception. Okay? They all think they can do Leonardo DiCaprio. They can't. And also, he had a way better cast around him than Ben Affleck's got here. Okay? Hugh Jackman tried it with Transcend... Reminiscence. That was it. Yeah. Who did Transcendence? That was also one. There are so many Inception ripoffs, and this is just... It's bad. Okay? So, basically, Ben Affleck is a cop and finds this guy who can just whisper things to people, and they do it because he puts them into this hypnotic trance with the power and vocals of his words and stuff. And he finds out that this guy basically maybe kidnapped his daughter in the past and has... Um, kind of, well, he's erased his mind, his own mind, with hypnotic suggestion, so that he doesn't remember anything, and that's weird, but then Ben Affleck meets this girl who has those powers too, and then they go on this adventure to try and figure out where his daughter is, and who this guy is, and what he's doing, and get away from him, and I don't, it's never quite clear what their goal is, but that doesn't matter, because it's all not real, ah, but you'll figure that out later, it's bad. Yeah, and I can't really talk about this one without at least some spoilers for the film. But the general gist is, it's not all real. Uh-oh, Matrix, what? What's happening? And bad. <laughs> That's all you need to know. And bad, okay? It was really unfortunate that, um... No... No, it was really unfortunate they felt the need to make this, okay? Ben Affleck's having a year of it. He made Air, which I actually liked, but did very badly at the box office. And he made this, which I just can't imagine is going to do well at the box office, and is bad, does not deserve to do well at the box office. And uh, then he's, well, he's going to be Batman again for a few minutes in The Flash. I guess that helps. Somewhat? Not really, though. Um, and that is it. I, I could just spoil the entire thing talking about it, but the problem is, yeah, it's... It's such a, oh, this is what you think the world is? Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, wait, no, it's not that either. Oh, what? No, not either. And you kind of got the impression from literally the first few minutes that something was weird with it. Like, you didn't fully know what because it is so silly. <laughs> what the uh, what the solutions are that you are very unlikely to, like, guess at all. But you guess some of it and get the general gist that something's wrong with this world, like, very quickly. Because it's pretty obvious. And I don't know if they want to make it obvious to the audience, but that just then makes the fact that they spend, like, the first half of the film in this world that you kind of know something's wrong with pretty dumb. You know what I mean? It's trying to be overly complex and overly, whoa, what are we going to do next? For no real reason. It's also only, like, scraping the bottom of the barrel just about reaching, like, 90 minutes of runtime. Which I feel like they should have known was a bad sign. Because... What really successful, big, mind-bending blockbuster film has ever been 90 minutes in runtime? They're all two hours. And Inception was, because it needed to actually explain these concepts properly and introduce enough characters to really be interested. And yeah, it just didn't. This just didn't. It didn't bother with any of that. Um, it introduced barely Ben Affleck. It, it was literally a intro scene to be like, oh, I'm a cop, I lost my daughter, her. And then it just expected you to be into it, to be really interested in the film. And I was not. <laughs> I was not. I never was. Every time they did a new reveal, I was kind of like, eh. <laughs> None of the reveals really improved anything, fixed anything. And then the end, after all of that, was stunningly obvious. 
stunningly, when it comes down to the finale, you're just kind of like, well, this is, of course this is what, uh. <laughs> So it was a super annoying film uh, in general. It was bad. You do not need to see this one. You could miss it out and lose out on nothing um, in your year of cinema. I'll give Hypnotic a 4 out of 10. That might be generous. I'll give it a 4 out of 10, I think. Yeah, no. I think that's about right. It's um, it's not really, like, the, the worst film I've seen in the cinema or anything this year by any means. But it just... Wow. <laughs> I much preferred the simple journeyman side quest style of the new Fast and Furious to that. Because... Yikes. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. I've got one really cool quick to mention horror recommendation this week. And this is going to bleed into a big uh, section I want to talk about next week because I've been gathering up recently. One of my uh, one of my recent hobbies has been finding horror movie recommendations on TikTok for horror movies I'd never heard of and checking them out. Because Wow, you know, this is the problem with horror movies. If a big action movie's come out, you know the big action movie's come out. It's not the kind of thing that's going to slip by me. I'm going to have probably seen it, and or at least know it exists. Horror movies you can make so cheaply, and you've always, you know, everyone can make a horror movie, um, that you will miss so many, because people make so many. And yeah, a lot of them are crap. Some of them are really unique. And still crap. And some of them are hidden gems. And I've got one such one for you today. It's called Alone. Came out in 2020. Not a lot of films did. Surprised it missed me <laughs> at the time. And it's about a woman who is being pursued on the road after losing her husband by this man. And this man is creepy. You know how you know? He's got a mustache. <coughs> and... After he catches her eventually, and she's really smart about it too. That's what I like about this character. She is such a smart female protagonist, but she gets caught eventually anyway by him. He imprisons her. She escapes quite quickly. That's a minor part of the film, really. You'd expect it to be a big part of the film. It's a minor part of the film. And then she gets out into the woods, and he is chasing her. And that is kind of the whole second half of the film, maybe a little bit more even. Just her, like, trying to evade him in the woods and get away. And it is... Awesome! <laughs> it's a very simple premise. Most of the films that would do something similar, it's like weird torture shit after they get caught, they're trapped in there for ages, maybe they get out of the finale. No. She is stuck. She is trapped by him for 10 minutes. So it is very much not a I've been captured or kidnapped movie. It is a here's what I'm going to do about that situation, alright? And it is awesome. I cannot recommend this enough. Look it up. It's just called Alone. It is a very smart movie. Movies that manage to have a female protagonist who's actually that intelligent, they are either irritating or it's a very smart, well-written movie. And this just is. It's brilliant. It was really well acted. I don't know either of the actors particularly, um, the leads, but they did such an astoundingly good job. I would 1,000% watch this again. It is... For people who really think when they're watching horror movies, like they're really screaming, Get out! What are you doing? You idiot! You won't be even a little bit in this movie because she is a crusher. She is so good. It's so well built. And everything about it, all the way up to the finale, was really satisfying. You would think that maybe it would tail off a bit in the finale. No. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the finale is awesome. So alone, giving it 9 out of 10. Mwah. Cannot recommend it enough. 
really go check that out, okay? Moving on! <sighs> I just, I know I need to keep up, like, vaguely with some of the new Netflix releases. So when I got better from being sick, I went and watched A Tourist's Guide to Love, okay? <laughs> And it's another one of those, another one of those Netflix movies where it's like, oh, there's this woman, she's into her 40s, she's still single, oh, well, she's not, she's getting engaged, but then she doesn't, and then she goes out because she's a travel, like, sec or something, and she's, uh, she's gonna find out about the wonders of this beautiful foreign country from this handsome, strange man who likes living in this rural area and doing his thing, oh, he loves it, he loves being so wholesome and delightful and wonderful, what a good guy, if only he could be snatched up by some single woman in her 40s who's come to this place on holiday but has fallen in love with the culture and it's changed her life. Oh, it would be glorious, wouldn't it? Oh, it sucks. But it doesn't actually suck as badly as it should suck. As badly as it deserves from that premise to suck, okay? Because at least it's got this nice background and this beautiful place she's gone to. Um, it's Vietnam, isn't it? It was Vietnam, I think, that she went. And it is, it's beautiful. And it's nice. And that's kind of a place that a lot of these films wouldn't go. They'd go to the African savannah or they'd go to some big European city with it. No, it is a little bit different from that, at least. And uh, it's almost bearable. It's kind of, okay, all right, sure. And um, the love story romance thing, I don't know. Pretty hallmarky, really. The whole thing's pretty hallmarky, but with more of a budget, because Hallmark would never go to Vietnam for one of these. Um, and yeah, I guess just the actual story behind it, 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 it irritated me slightly less than I expected, certainly. So it gets marks for that somewhat. Um, and I could throw it like a. Five? Ah, uh, no, no, four. <laughs> it's gotta be a four. <laughs> you can't give one of these a five, no. No, 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 that would encourage Netflix too much. It's pretty... Uh, almost watchable. If you were to sit down and go, Oh, that one on Netflix, having a chill evening. Don't mind the idea of something a little bit romantic and silly. I wouldn't necessarily scream get away from it if you then put this on. I don't want to watch it again, though. But it's fine, okay? Now, <clears throat> folks, sometimes, you know, in general, maybe the podcast, movies are good. But sometimes, movies are bad. And yet sometimes when movies are bad, they're good. Oh. I watched this week, after watching Killer Sofa last week, which is a New Zealand-made fucking insane film, this week I stayed in the weird land of Kiwi movies. And I watched Black Sheep. Black Sheep is a movie about zombie sheep. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> I don't think you need to hear any more about it. The fact is, it should be so terrible, but then you realize it's not actually A, as low budget, B, as badly written, or C, stupid as you think it is. It's actually more stupid than you think it is, but it's one of those movies where you can tell people with actual talent are working on it because it's not... 
the comedy in it isn't so bad it's funny. It's actually just funny. <laughs> what they're doing is actually just really funny. And then you go, huh, maybe it's not a really terrible film. And then it keeps going. And it keeps being really, really funny. The characters, they're seeing, it's this rural community. The whole, like, idea of them of the sheep getting infected is just so dumb, but it, it was executed so well. It does some homages to different zombie films and other horror movies, and you're just watching it going, Wait! <laughs> and it just clicks in your brain at some point, probably by, like, it takes until, like, the third act, I think, really, before you go, Oh my god, it's not even a bad movie. This is a good movie. It's an insane, cheap New Zealand movie about zombie sheep. But it's an actually really good, funny movie. It's not it's not top quality mega genius, but I would 100% watch this again. Not in an ironic way. Not in a, oh, this is so dumb, we'll have fun with it way. In a, fuck yeah, I can't wait to watch that again way. <laughs> like a, oh yeah, let's go. <laughs> it's fucking black sheep, man. Um, it, it was awesome. It was so dumb. <laughs> There's... The story, it's about this guy who didn't get along with his dad, he left the farm, and he comes back, and he's like a business guy, and he's a bit of a prat. But there's no real story you need to know about, because it's not about that. <laughs> Black Sheep dares to be a film that's not about plot, and it's not about budget, or how little of it they really had. And it's not about how many of the sheep they actually had sex with during filming. It's about the fact that this is an actual real-life movie about zombie sheep. And it's actually really funny. And that is so weird. What is up with New Zealand? Seriously, I know I did a rant on this when Killer Sofa was watched last week. But seriously? Zombie sheep? Like... The world already makes fun of them for having sex with sheep, right? I've heard it a bunch of times. I mean, we make fun of, like, the Welsh, but it's not, it doesn't matter. But, like, and you just lay into it and lay into the sheep. It's just really weird, but wow, it was brilliant. I loved it. I really did. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> and uh, that's pretty much all we got time for this week, folks. Um... A weird, weird mix of stuff this week. It really was. I didn't really want to dig into the whole Fast and Furious franchise because I was more interested this week in talking about Disney Live Action Remix. And this is such a pit stop, because eh, cars, on the way through this franchise that it just, it feels like, wait. I should wait until the next one comes out and maybe finishes the franchise before I actually talk about the whole insane franchise and, like, the path that's taken. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> wow. Where that franchise began to where it's gotten to is... Wow. Yeah. Um, but anyway, what are we talking about next week? Well, the big thing. The big thing. I'm very excited. My my hype levels went from... Oh, to... Oh, to... Ah! Really quickly with this one, okay? I'm really excited for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. It looks insanely beautiful. It looks like the story is just going to be a really smart one really good one if it is even on the level of the first film i'm gonna be coming in screaming about how great it is next week if it is actually somehow better which you can't necessarily rule out i might cream <laughs> i might cream myself on the podcast in cinema everywhere a lot um we're also gonna be talking about i think boogeyman's coming out next week um you know 
Yeah. Can't say I'm excited. Oh, by the way, I'm predicting a high nine, at least for Across the Spider-Verse. Um, I can't say I'm overly excited. No. For, uh, for Boogeyman. I'm not against it completely, but when they say From the Mind of Stephen King, as the whole, like, selling point, I don't know, it makes me think, yeah. But how many things have been from the mind of Stephen King and been adapted terribly? Also, it's just such a basic idea. The horror genre has done this movie, or some variety of this movie, so many times. We'll see. My expectation is like a five, I'm hoping. It actually turns out to be good. It could be one of the best horror movies of the year. Sometimes with these ones, there's no telling, you know? Um, and then we're also going to be doing a big old segment on the best of TikTok horror recommendations because I have been finding so many recently and I think it's just time to bleh with them a little bit because there are, wow, there are loads. Um, so if you got any ideas, leave them down in the comments. I could do a week on view recommendations as well. Actually, that's a good idea. I like the sound of that and I should do that. But we'll get to that. Um, I don't think there's anything else major coming out next week. We'll see what else we can still catch up on. There's a one or two movies that may have slipped by me while I've been sick. And um, thank you guys very much for watching. And I will see you next time. Don't forget to subscribe and check out the Movies Good Podcast everywhere.